welcome back to that Greaves and Rooney sports podcast. Hi guys. I'm Dad Greaves. I'm Martin Rooney. And today we are episode four. Yeah, we've somehow come right back for a fourth one and uh, we're going to talk about competition today. Yeah, so let's get competing. Rooney now kicks away. Commonwealth champion for discus down. Rooney gets the goal. Medal at the last four Paralympic Games. Martin Rooney ran a great race in lane one. Great character. Well done, Dan Greaves. Wow, so here we are, episode four. Ole, ole, ole. <laughs> ole, ole, ole. I don't that's know the rest good. of the words. That's a, that's a good start, mate. It's a good start for you. Happy boy. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, isn't it? I can't believe Aston Villa are back. In the big time. It's where they belong to be. I think uh, I always grew up knowing about Aston Villa and they were a big team. It was a big club in the, in the West Mids, the biggest club in the West Mids. And uh, when you had the greats of David O'Leary and Martin O'Neill at the helm, great managers. <laughs> Good Irish boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just remember yeah, it was just a big Premier League club. So it's nice to have you back up. Six points for Palace this year, guaranteed. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> mate, no, I can't. Well, um, Who knows? I'm not, I, you know, I'm a big believer in karma, so I'm not going to say a word. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But you're a happy boy. Yeah, mate, it's good. It was, oh, it's a great day. Like, obviously, last year's getting to the playoff final against Fulham, and then this year, you know, start of March 13th, rebooked my season ticket thinking, yeah, well, we're destined for mid table championship, and then. We'll, we'll just off, dust ourselves off, um, give Dean Smith a full year and see what can happen. But maybe we went on that unbelievable 10 game unbeaten run, 13 games, oh, sorry, 13 games unbeaten, 10 game winning streak, and to make the playoff final again. And it's really weird being in the stand, looking at the Derby fans was identical to looking at the Fulham fans because they were obviously in white and black, Derby fans, white and black. And I had the strangest bit of deja vu. I was like, oh, not again, oh no. please, not again. I've come all this way. I'm standing here with with hope and praying that we that we win. But it just looked too familiar. You know, yeah. you just, just I've the seen white this picture and, before. Yeah. yeah. I, I was like, I've been here before. I don't want to walk back on Wembley Way and back on the tube with the disappointment I had last year. Yeah. It's and, a it, it's a tough thing, but I think obviously it made your team better. Yeah, I think, I think just think like Fulham had the momentum last year and obviously went up. We had a great run in, you know, we only lost once or, yeah, I think to Norwich in 14 games beforehand. Yep. I had a great run and it just goes to show that, you know, technically on the, I think it was March the 1st, we were 13th, Leeds were top and then well, we made, we won and got promoted and they didn't. And it's yeah. bonkers to think that. Beauty of the championship. Championship is probably the best league to watch if you're in it. When you're yeah. not in it, it kind of loses a bit of focus on it. But like, I loved it when Palace were in it and how you could yo-yo up and down the league, and then all of a sudden you're in the playoffs, and then you go up. But yeah, um, I mean, now that you're out like, of it, you won't watch it once, mate. Yeah, it's definitely like Premier League football. <laughs> oh no, you, do you know what? I'll keep an avid eye because there's some really good teams there. We, I've really enjoyed watching Championship football. Like Bristol City are good. Sheffield Wednesday on the way up. Like Forest, Derby, Leeds, and it's super good. But like, there's probably there probably was eleven, twelve teams that could have made the playoffs and then probably could have gone on to win it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you say it now. 
I'll ask you in six months' time. How's the championship going? <laughs> oh, I know. Hopefully Derby will be up by then. There'll be automatic position to go up and then it's... Uh, yeah, I do, I do team feel up. for them. Um, we saw some guys on the tube afterwards and my dad in the Fulham game, there was a little lad in front of us in the Villa and crying his eyes out last year. My dad was like, look, don't worry. Our look will change. Like, you know, just just carry on supporting the boys. It'll be fine. I you know you're upset now. And he said exactly the same thing to a Derby fan, uh, which was re- I thought was re- nice. really nice. Yeah, like like this poor Derby kid was just crying his eyes out near the tube and yeah. and there's loads of Villa fans just saying, oh, don't worry, you know, you played really well. Like, you did great to get to the final. So, mm. and yeah, they're a great club and I think like Frank Lampard's done an amazing turnaround job. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a fan of Frank. I think, uh, I hope he stays there for another, t- at least two years and tries to get him up to the premiership yeah. and then like, obviously, he can work on his own managerial career after that but like, he's obviously made great strides already and, um, He's got a good group of guys around him. Yeah, great, it was good to see like him great and, mentality. Good to see him and JT uh, embrace <laughs> after the match, like as, yeah. out of respect and obviously good yeah. friendship and stuff. And so. he had like, Ashley Cole there. So he had the, like Ashley. an old guard Chelsea day out, really. And who's at his, who's his assistant manager or um, head coach? It's another old boy that he used to play with. Jody Morris. Jody Morris. Jody Morris. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, Jody Morris. Another Chelsea his, kid. His, yeah, and then he so. was around the Premier League and stuff. So. It must have been quite quite strange for them, you know. They've obviously spent so many years together, like through mm. Chelsea Academy and coming through, having like, you know, Champions League. Seeing your buddies, you know, effectively, obviously JT wanted Villa to go up and, yeah. and Frank obviously Derby. It must have been quite surreal for them boys you know like just obviously spent so much time together yeah been in each other's pocket for so many times as Chelsea boys but pretty much pretty close and then effectively you know you're at war with each other because mm. you want to get that's competition though, isn't it that's competition wow what a, te- what a tenuous <laughs> link <laughs> a tenuous link to competition like I suppose those guys they work so hard together but then they're up against each other in another situation whereas uh, I suppose when I run like I'm in a individual event 90% yeah. of the time and then for the 10% of the time we've got to come together and run together as part of a relay and uh, the guys that you're trying your best to beat trying to smash them in the race and then the next day you're like right let's be buddies mate, best friend let's go <laughs> yeah. let's go guys you've got my back i got yours so that's tenuous link to a uh, competition which is what we're going to be kind of focusing on today I suppose yeah we've done the whole warm weather training prep um We've done a day, kind of day in the life of, but also spread out of what our our training looks like. So I think what we thought would be really useful for you guys listening would be first just to explain like what kind of we do and how we prepare for competitions, um, you know, so you, you could be the best prepped and how we handle stress mentally, physically, um, and how we've reached the top of our game mm-hmm. when it matters, which is ultimately when it counts, like... You know, you've got to have the minerals to to put it right on the day. Big cojones. Big cojones. Um, yeah, so where do we start? We start, I think, my competition prep, like, we've done all the training and let's say we've done the whole winter, we're coming into a championships or a big race or a big throws competition. We, uh, we start the night before. I think um, too many people think that as long as I turn up on the day, I'll be okay, but... Um, 
preparation going into your into your first your night before is almost as important as the race day itself so um for me over the years it's stuff like traveling how that affects my performance how early i go into the competition how like the difference between sitting in if i fly to a competition say the difference between sitting in an exit row compared to a normal seat can literally have a massive like a huge performance uh, boost or or a drop off and um like if I like for the weekend I went down to Bedford and I drove down on the day and it absolutely killed me That's driving right. down on the day. It was such a bad decision. I should have gone the night before and uh, I could have gone up there and been ready, uh, going d down to Bedford and been uh, more relaxed and it had a massive impact on my performance. So, How long does it take? You know, like we were saying that compared to, so you're driving down <clears throat> and and then you, you're competing. How how many hours does it take? Where obviously night before you, you get to sleep and then you rock up at the track and you feel pretty fresh. Like driving down. How many out? How many? You know, are we talking hours? Like um, for me, uh, I think uh, I left here at seven, and I got there. No, I left here at half seven in Loughborough. Got down to Bedford at about ten to nine. The first race was at eleven twenty, I think. Okay. And I was way too close. Like I needed two hours to just unwind yeah. after the drive, after driving down. Um, I think if you're doing like any competition in the UK and you have the, the means to go and spend a night in a travel lodge or whatever the night before, it's definitely an option that I'd take up in the future. I think uh, whenever I've done the trials in Birmingham, I've always stayed over the night before. Yeah. My heats, I've, not that I've ever run well at the trials, but... <laughs> too harsh, man. I mean, uh, you got loads of national titles. Have a few, but not in recent years. Um, so no, it's it's a it's something that kind of your prep starts the night before. If you get a good night's sleep, if you're hydrated, you have a good meal the night before. It could actually have a massive benefit yeah. to you for the next day. Um, I know a lot, a lot of athletes will take um, melatonin and sleeping aids, mm, sleeping aids, yeah, CBD oils. I don't know if they're allowed to take that. But yeah, it's um, CBD's been wiped clean from from the uh, ban list, apparently. So yeah, gonna have to check it out. It's been sent some by. Have you been sent some by um, the two rugby lads? Is that five or six? I think um, CBD oil is a cannabis oil. Of um, it's yeah, it's um, how do you be yeah, like a herbal remedy that is then four or five cbd yeah so. and then it's um produced in liquid form yeah um, they take all the so it's like like a see, i'm not I'm not really that clued up on it i just know it's very good for your body recovery and um general health benefits yeah. and it can calm your nervous system down and stuff like that so yeah. uh without the side effects of being high or uh i don't know all the other stuff that goes on when you're smoking weed or whatever Thanks to the guys from 4-5 CBD Oil. Um, thanks for sending me some stuff. Look forward to trying it once I've got the all clear from UCAD and from the British Athletics doctors. It's something obviously we have to be very careful with um, what goes in our bodies as we have 100% um, responsibility for that. So got to make sure I'm covered and whatever. And yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that out. But it's uh, it's definitely something that. I've, seen, I've known of people to use it to help them sleep. Yeah. Um, and as we're talking about pre-comp, pre, pre -comp, sleep is probably the most important sleep that you can have. 
Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's like I think, um, like, like definitely, if you're if you're wanting to do the, to do your best, yeah, it's like an essential night's sleep before, whether it's <clears throat> getting a hotel, yeah, the night before, or even like just spare room, yeah, just a spare room, and just putting some earplugs in and, and making sure that you get like will get fully recovered. Like you need to start the day as fresh as possible. Yeah. Um, Hydrated, fed. My dad always says, have a stick. Gotta have a stick before you compete. Gotta have a stick. <laughs> and that's the thing, I, I guess like with competition, um the prep obviously we like prep starts from, you know, when you when you're looking at competition plans, um, you know, how how structured your your schedule's gonna be. But then to like really go finite, you know, you need to then we need to then structure nutrition, sleeping patterns, like um, like you say, travel. Um, there's lots of variables that could go wrong mm -hmm. to then, you know, psychologically affect um, your performance. Yeah. So if you wake up and you've had a you go to a travel lodge in Bedford, say, mm -hmm. but then there's a stag do three doors down, which yes. is quite possible. Yeah, it's common. It used to happen a lot in Birmingham. Yeah, and. Where probably staying at home, knowing that you could put your earplugs in and get a half decent night's sleep. It's true. It's there's so many, and then and then you wake up in a bad mood because the stag dude's probably Kate rocked in at like two, three, four in the morning and completely wake you up, and then you've been up since then, yeah, not being able to sleep. And there's so many things that could piss you off to alter alter the way you compete. I always find hen dudes are noisier than stag dudes because you hear the heels trying oh, yeah. in. <laughs> Chop, 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 chop. And then you, know, you hear them like all laughing and gaggling and <laughs> screaming at each other. That's very true. Yeah. Oh, where's this friend? Oh, we've lost her. Oh, we've lost her. <laughs> Whereas when the, when the blokes lose a mate, it's kind of like, oh, cool. See you later, mate. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that de definitely has a massive difference. Do you think um, there's a lot of chat at the moment about Anthony Joshua's fight with Ruiz, about his prep coming in? Like he uh, wasn't the Anthony Joshua we knew and uh, we've seen before in in the ring like he just didn't want it no he, he looked completely like when AJ f um, fights in Wembley or on home turf or or even in the States to be fair um, I think is that his first fight in the States is it oh is it, in the, is it his first fight I think so I think he's fought in the UK the whole way through and um, you always see like the big showman come out um, and yeah, he just didn't look that switched on focused fighter, I don't mm. think. Um considering considering his opponent is fairly unknown. Yeah, I think uh I'm not I'm not a boxing aficionado. I know a little bit about it just from having watched it the last couple of years and trying to pick up like from the Olympians when you go to twenty twelve or twenty sixteen, I was always chatting away with them a bit and wow. I got the chance to I was in a sauna with Anthony Joshua once. Oh, wow. He took up the whole bloody space. <laughs> it was a two-man sauna and it was like literally me squashed up against the side of the wall trying not to get burnt. He's a big, big dude. Um, but you always try to pick up some stuff and obviously we've uh, had the, with the the therapists that we use, um, Derry Suter and Pura Singh, they look after quite a few um, prominent boxers. Kid Galahad's got a big fight coming up. and Yeah, um, the two lads from Birmingham, Yef, 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 yeah, he's going over to the States soon, actually, saw him the other day, and um, 
yeah, we get to see like hear the inside stories of it all, and um, they're kind of really good at putting us in like in educating us. Mm-hmm. And boxing is is something that we all think we know a lot about, but because uh, it's just hitting each other in the face, isn't it? But it's not. Yeah, it's. I think the art of boxing is a massive underrated skill. Is that like especially when the art of boxing. Um, is to hurt someone but without getting hurt yourself. That yeah. is ultimately everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, ultimately the the hardest thing to do is to 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 keep on fighting and not get hit. Yeah. Um, but with that, like boxers have like quite a an almost kind of all out mentality, don't they? Like, would it's you war, say isn't like it? yeah? So would you say when you when you prepare for a competition, would you prepare like they do? Like, which is, you know, like, like it seems quite a long, elongated, like psych up to the, like the big performance mm-hmm. or because you go through rounds, would you then build up your, like your psyche mentality? I think, um, in the 400, it's such a measured event. Like you can't, well, for me personally, I can't go out and smash the first 150 because then it's over by 220, 230 into the race and it's you, you can't do that. So it's about being measured in, in, in the, the build-up to it. So like the day before, on the day of the competition, it's about nerves are massively important. It's like yeah. if you don't get nervous for a big competition, then you're not going to perform at the level that you need to. Yeah, and people always say that if you don't get nervous, it, it doesn't count. I think... I think sometimes it does count, like, and it and, you, and it does mean something. And, mm-hmm. um, but some people have maybe don't feel nervous because they, they replace it with excitement. Or um, some people are so confident yeah. in their own ability that it doesn't matter. It doesn't like, matter. They don't get that nerves. Yeah. And maybe it's just the same feeling, but they just call it something different. Yeah, they're just buzzing, ready to go. Whereas I'm like, I know it's nerves. I can feel it in my stomach. Yeah. I can be into the toilet about twenty times that morning. <laughs> That's one of the massive things of competition, isn't it? How many times you go to the toilet? Yeah. Well, it yeah, it's it's one of those things where I always think, oh, I don't really need to go, and then and then you do, <laughs> and then the big thing for me, I can remember, um, yeah, Commonwealth Games 2014 was, do I need to go? Oh no, I wait, and I was in the final call, and then it was about a 350 metre walk and there's no toilets yeah. and obviously I have to go out to the crowd and I was busting for the toilet and all I could think about was I have got the brightest red shorts on and if a little bit of wee comes out <laughs> it's going to look so embarrassing there's nothing you can do there's no hiding there's no, no, there's no hiding, rush no. off to get the hair dryer or anything Mr Bean thinking, just hold it in Dan hold it in have you seen the Mr Bean movie where he's like trying to dry it in the in the, the hand dryer <laughs> Oh no, I haven't seen his little patch. Um, so no, it's uh, the toilet is a regular thing. Um, I probably shit about four or five times before I compete. But I thought this was just me, but then it turns out it seems to be very common. And it's not just male athletes, it's everyone. Female athletes are as bad. But it's not that we don't have a choice. I think that is just your body preparing you for your yeah. war, I suppose. Um, Mass exodus of your body. And that, that's like, it's pretty interesting to know that for that all out because from like from, from my side obviously you, like, you you've got one race to execute like and like you say you can't really go to tape it you have to be measured and mm. 
and then for like for, for me like my an outside at the warm up track my warm up um going at a competition is like is pivotal and then I have to kind of calm it down so I'm a lot more relaxed when I throw because okay. if I get too stressed or get too up for a comp then it can completely ruin like the flight of the discus yep. um my, my technical cues I can rush things get too wound up in the moment um and like so for both of us is there's that measured approach where normally you'd think okay yeah like you might watch it on tv and think oh yeah you know it's an all-out effort this is a big chance it means everything to them but it's something maybe that we've practiced over and over and over again in training mm -hmm. it's just that raised volume of excitement or nerves how do you control that do you listen to do you change the music so you listen to if you listen to music yeah i would say like pre-competition for me I, like i I rely heavily to get up on music mm -hmm. and then there's normally like one or two go-to songs by like the prodigy or chemical brothers or something like really upbeat okay. that then sticks in my head that will get me through call room yeah and then yeah when we get out into the arena and i think um is either like there's, there's either tunes being played but it's just something like i think it's just like a distraction as well like some people don't use don't use music and just yeah. quite comfortable and just like listen to the surrounding noise and stuff but i don't know about you i know that you like to listen to music like in training and yeah i listen to music when i train a lot especially in the gym i think uh you put beyonce on in the gym i'm not going to lift anything that day no. but if you put on system of a down um toxicity toxicity when that comes on that's my cleans cleans music and it pisses everybody else off but if i try doing that for comp it's just yeah. different. It's the wrong mentality to have. Like, uh, uh, I definitely will have like louder stuff in my warm up, and I'll try. My warm up is like it's there to get my heart rate up to one eighty or whatever it is, and sweat it. Get nice and warm. Very hot. So yeah, it's important in the warm up. But my last couple of songs before I go into call up, call up can be well, forty five minutes to an hour sometimes. Depends yeah. on the championships you're at, or if you're at a Diamond League or whatever British champs, it's normally half hour. But um, it's about getting your getting your mindset so that you can be ready to go into call up and not going to be shoot your load as such <laughs> in the call up. Yeah. Um, a lot of people go into call up and that's when they fall apart and they they they've lost their headphones. We're not allowed to bring music or anything into the call up zone. I think they yeah. can in swimming, can't they? Yeah, that's what I'm really jealous of. Is um, obviously with track and field, you've got starters, you've got events going on here, there, mm. and everywhere. Obviously, you got infield implements being thrown, so you can't you can't technically. If you were wandering around with your headphones on and didn't hear someone scream that there was a javelin coming your way, and what the hell are you doing with the infield? Pool, like they all line up, you know. They, I'm really jealous that they can all line up behind their um, behind their boards and ready to dive in. And then literally last minute, they get that. They might have like a favourite track that really gets them yeah. going, and then to that last second, that might be that's quite you know for them be a massive determinant and okay. I can remember speaking to Liam Tangok about this ages ago and congrats Liam on getting married oh yeah oh. Caitlin uh, I saw it the other day Caitlin McCutcheon yeah that's it yeah congratulations oh good yeah that was, um, it was great to see and it um, about and bloody yeah, time put in about bloody time <laughs> that's a subtle way that's <laughs> a way of saying it but yeah he was saying that it was bonkers because he had his music on, he had his cans on really, really loud. Um, 
and then he took them off and the biggest buzz which he thought was his music was the music and the crowd together in the like in the pool oh wow it was that loud in london 2012 well with a roof on yeah. the stadium and there's like 13 14,000 wow. going bonkers for these bricks guys and he he just said it was like said so since then it changed my perception on like what was needed oh, I'd love to have I'd love to compete indoors where it's a 400 meter track yeah <laughs> where you can throw and you can do all normal things but, but like, indoor, yeah with the roof indoors on. you know like if you go have you been to Millennium Stadium in Cardiff I've, no, I've never been I've never been there with a the roof on but you watch it on TV and it's just like that noise in there, like when they're singing national anthems and stuff like that. That's we, we I went there to watch Wales Ireland when Ireland won the Grand Slam, and we were seeing. I was sitting next to a guy who was like six foot eight, a Welsh fan from Northampton. I can't remember his name, but I'm sure he doesn't listen to the podcast either. Anyway, the power of the pod. Um, we were singing Delilah together, rocking back and forth, oh, wow. and I was imagining if the roof was closed, how noisy it would be. I was just like. This is what competition, I, that that feeling that you get from the crowd um, with a roof on must be completely different. Yeah. Oh, massively. I think, I think like, it, it can't, it must be, yeah, it's like you say, it must be such a buzz that for us as athletes, it's, it's, quite, it's quite hard to then, to prepare yourself and to go through the same rituals. I don't know if, you, if we can come on to that in a second, but you know, like your, your prep, Mm-hmm. It's hard and to try and get it exactly the same as as you'd be used to training day in day out to to make it effective and to be on the comp like yeah there's so much so much so many distractions it's it is great and you have to soak up the atmosphere but mm-hmm. again you just don't want it to affect what you're there to do yeah it's um I I think the crowd noise would be a positive thing I didn't I never agreed with the whole oh the crowd got me across the line and all that kind of stuff I was like, no all your training did. Yeah, the crowd just kind of like were fun and they were brilliant and they put a smile on your face. Like, the I think Jess said it and Mo said it in twenty twelve, and I was like, "Nah, you yeah. were just the best athletes on the day." <laughs> like, you, like yeah. the crowds don't get rid of, get rid of lactic. <laughs> Do you know you yeah. were just the fittest person that day? But it's the buzz that they give you, the feeling of like positivity that you can get from them. I suppose yeah. that's the. I think maybe in a marathon when you are. 20 miles deep and oh. you're thinking this Balls is hurting deep. that's when a crowd could come into its own like London Maybe. Marathon people have said look I've got to mile 22 or whatever and I'm almost there yeah. and the crowd's kicked me on like I believe in that yeah I can, uh, definitely in a marathon I can imagine that like how many people really do like longer than 20 mile runs and then they've got an actual marathon they're running 6 miles longer yeah is it 6? 26? 26.2 yeah yeah um, Coming into, I used to do the mini marathon as a kid. Did you? So you do the last two miles of the marathon in London, and that was that was a buzz for me. Was that down was amazing. The mile? Yeah, come down the mile. Quick wave to start, Queenie. <laughs> oh, um, you start just before you go into that tunnel. So you're running along the Thames. And you start in that tunnel bit. So there's loads of kids just screaming as they're running through the tunnel because it's making noise. And then um, you come out of the other side, and there was always the steel drums. And I was thinking. So I completely, I do agree with you there. Definitely the crowd in that point will have a massive impact on getting you through yeah. that last bit because yeah, 26 miles is a, it's a horrible, long long, horrible long way. Yeah, I could probably cover it in my car, but that's about it. Ah, I'll back you down. <laughs> You're quite good on a bike. You'd be all right. Be, yeah, but oh, but yeah, I don't think I'd I could do it on a bike. bike. Yeah, you'd be easy. No, I'm rubbish on a bike. I could plod it in about eight Children. days. <laughs> but... um Competition, noise, 
preparation call up. That's what we've got into. What's your call yeah. up? Best call up experience. Talk to me about call up. Call, um, obviously, like we, we spoke about in the first part, we spoke about London. Um, oh yeah, I'd say that like um, one of the quieter ones, um, but what probably I think I think it was, my, it was my world champs in Lille in two thousand and two. So going well back, um, but we had and we had like three call rooms. Oh. So we had first call. Yeah, which is which was just name checks and whatnot. So okay. we sat down for five minutes. Then we had like second call, which was under the stadium, which was like bag check, where you go and make sure all your electrical items were gone and everything. And then we had final call, mm -hmm. which was probably twenty yards from the track. <laughs> yeah, and we sat there for half an hour. What I know. So we gone and so in, in the whole process was about an hour before we were due to go out, obviously to compete. Um, and I can just remember all the other guys just look knackered. Yeah. And it's very unlike me. And I was, I, you know, obviously it's my first, first pro, like world champs after, after coming second in Sydney. So I really wanted to win this one. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, just looking around, everyone just looked really knackered. It was really hot. Um, and I don't know why I did. I was just like, oh, wow. Like, so I, was, I just kept saying, mentioning like, you know, oh, it's, I don't normally chat to my competitors, but this time I did. I was like, oh, look, you know, it's really hot, isn't it? It's like, it, yeah, yeah. you know, it's really, I'm, I'm really knackered. And, and I wasn't. No. But everyone else was like, oh, yeah, Put yeah, yeah you know, I'm absolutely blowing, yeah. And <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't really know how, how well we're going to compete today because we've been out here for ages, haven't we? We've been like over an hour now. And I was doing like, I was just pretending to be a bit nervous and a bit like, oh. And it worked. And the, they were all spent, mate. So by the, so the call room, the length of it and just mm -hmm. being held there even though I knew okay we need to be out by three o'clock I think we went into the call room at two I knew just by reiterating how crap the situation was to yeah, my competitors yeah. and going you know actually like reinforcing what they were already probably thinking and yeah you planted naked. a seed and they've just their mind runs away with runs, it kind yeah of and and I, I I honestly believe there's like evil the genius. battle the battles on the track evil genius but that was like that was my favorite one because it really as a young athlete I think I was 18 19 at the time uh -huh. which was completely normally I'm quite quiet I just like self-absorbed just keep going over what I've got to do like technical cues I keep like bigging myself up internally mentally like properly driving it it was completely out of my comfort zone what I was doing, mm -hmm. but I could see that I already had an advantage. Yes, yeah. they were thinking, "Oh, like Dan's only been on the scene for a couple of years," and they did look hot, sweaty, and knackered. And I just thought, "Right, I'm going to reiterate that," and and it worked. So, what about you? What's your call up favorite call? -up? So, call up is like purgatory, kind of just from your warm up, and then you're sitting around waiting um, with your competitors in a small box, often like. You said like there, it's quite hot and sweaty. Um, a couple of times you've been in there and you can see everyone, it's, everyone's farting, stink of deep heat or tiger balm or whatever they're using. And uh, you're kind of all wandering around this small little space. And I, I've always enjoyed it. I've always like, I don't know, it's just, it's always something I felt very comfortable in. The only time I've ever really felt uncomfortable is two times actually. Well, one time, before I raced in London at Crystal Palace back in the day in 2008. I remember being in the call-up room. I was running very well and uh, uh, sitting there trying to be all relaxed and all of a sudden I had to just jump out of the side of the, out of the, side of the tent and puked my guts up. 
<laughs> at Crystal Palace, there's like a walkway that people like uh, between the, the National Sports Centre and the, the track. Oh, of course. This walkway. Yeah. So all these people are literally up above me watching me puke my guts <laughs> What's this guy doing? <laughs> What's happened to him? And they must have thought he's got, he's bottled it. He's done. So, I won the race around a PB, but it was, I think that was just the adrenaline and the yeah. whole nerves thing was come together and it was bang. And then I raced again like two days later, or three days later in Monaco. And this Jamaican kid who I'd raced a lot that year, he starts talking to me. I didn't understand what he was saying. He was speaking his local lingo and he was going and going and going. And Jermaine Mason was there. Um, I don't know if people remember Jay Mason. He was a silver medalist in Olympic in the high jump. High jump and I think yeah. he'd have been upgraded to gold due to um, doping. But unfortunately, he passed away in a, a bike accident maybe two years ago. Yeah, I think I see. Really, really solid dude. But he's sitting there and he's <laughs> he starts shouting back at him. I'm like, what's going on here? And he basically said, oh, he said he's going to kill you. Not in the race, he's going to kill you. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, so I was a bit nervous because I was a bit like, he was kind of aggressive with what he's saying, but I was like, okay, cool. And then I won the race again. <laughs> so I was like, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. That it's... kind of fear, fear, flight, flight or flight yeah. thing. I think like, I don't know how, like obviously you just, said that how you handle it of just like keeping yourself to yourself and, and that's generally I'm, I'm my mindset is but I'm the opposite yeah I mean like, I'm chatting away to people if they don't want to be talked to I'm like hey how's it going what are you up to yeah cool you're looking yeah. forward to this he, verbal diarrhea I saw, I saw your rubbish race last week <laughs> oh sorry you mate. look terrible man yeah, what happened like, there yeah you look oh, really yeah, yeah. ill yeah well you know hopefully it doesn't happen again uh, but like um I think like even you know even yeah. if if people are doing like doing semi-competitive races or on the track or in the field or park um, runs. Or, or I think it's always obviously we're, we're we're both friendly, but we want we want it that that badly that that you just are, like for me it's just like self motivation. So I just like through through all the call call rooms and everything that obviously that that one off moment there where I, I was you know highlighting the fact that everyone looked knackered and tired and it was yeah. hot and how we're going to compete in here. Um, was okay. a one-off but yeah generally just self-motivation gets you by like just to big yourself up and knowing that all the hard work has been done put already. in yeah, yeah has been done already and like you alluded to like, like if there's a crowd there it does help you along knowing that somebody else is there supporting you but you've done all the hard work to um to like achieve what you want well, to achieve. when i say i talk to people it's, it's my way of keeping myself busy yeah rather than being in my own thoughts and then you start overthinking it and you start losing track of where you're meant to be going. Like, so you talk about all the work that's been done already. A lot of people will sit in the corner and they're just overthinking things and it's game over. Mm. Like they've already lost because when you're at competition, when you're at training, you don't you don't have that time to think. You're, you're chatting away to the guys around you and you're getting your sessions done. Yeah. Um, so I find that if I'm in call up, I have to be able to talk to people. Even if I talk to the officials, chat to somebody because it keeps me from getting lost in my own thoughts and keeps you level. It keeps yeah. me, uh, my heart rate, a good right and I don't lose the plot basically. So, call up is... Uh, I think with that, like, obviously the prep beforehand for competition is like, like we said, like with the sleep before, the night before and then going through call up and, and just our, our mental stability and thinking about what we've got to do and what mm. we've got to achieve. Is there anything that's gone missing before a comp? That maybe like a lucky charm or something on your spikes that might uh, have affected the way that you would have performed in competition. Yeah, little things. Sunglasses. <laughs> that Definitely. wasn't me, was it? 
That was post-comp, thankfully. <laughs> um, so I think, where is it, at the World Cup, I borrowed Neil Black's sunglasses. Um, to be fair, no, I've been all right most of the time. The only th- actually, at the weekend, um, so I raced some 200s in Bedford, uh, south of England, and I ran the heats. I was pretty flat in the heat after the drive, and I was like, all right, I'll, th- I'll wake myself up. And I have this uh, massage stick, um, and it's about 18 inches long. And you rub it on your muscles, like quite hard, quite vigorous. And I'd had this sick for about eight years, nine years. And then, pop, the thing went, oh, it no. broke. And it's like quite hard to break, but it's obviously old. And I was battering it. I was going way too hard on it because I was post-drive. And, and, gym so work when, going well then. So, <laughs> gym work, gym work going yeah, well. Yeah. All the gains. Um, and then I was like, oh, shit. Like, I haven't had a comp in the last... Well, have eight or nine years where I haven't had the stick there just before warm uh, just before I go out and run. Did that change? Did it change the way you thought about it? I or? did because my semi final, I was really worried. Like, uh, so I got through because I'd done a lot with my before my heat. I was okay, but before my semi final, I was like, this is when I really need it. Like, I was like, I'd done one race. I'd run in lane two, and I was pretty stiff after running on the tighter bend. Um, and I wanted to run really well in the semi final, and I was like. Oh, a stick. A stick. <laughs> so I had to find other ways of doing, like getting myself ready. And I was just, um, I got myself into the right frame of mind. But like, it did take a good five, 10 minutes of like, Ooh. okay, what do I do now? How am I going to feel a bit lost? I was like, do I go and just ask if I'm borrowing one of my competitors' ones? And they might say no. And then I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to get angry about that. Yeah. It was kind of like, okay, just found a way out of it. And my, my way out of it was to use, um, have a pulse roll. Oh yeah, and uh, it doesn't have quite the same effect, but it, it does a different thing really well. Okay, like so. it gets, I use it more of a recovery tool. But um, well, that's interesting. Yeah, it kind of helped me out as much as I needed it that day. But yeah, that's I, the first uh, time like eight or nine years like where you've had this. That's been stick. an absolute trusty steed for that. Yeah, time. Well, I've got another one arriving today. <laughs> today, it's gonna come. So um, yeah, I need that. Uh, but other than that, no, like. I always have some kind of tiger balm or deep heat. How about you? Yeah. Have you got anything that's been like, have you ever yeah, got a disc? Um, when I, um, see with this, disc. we obviously, we train with the discuses we compete with. And um, it was when we had a Paralympic event at Amsterdam for the European champs. Yeah. Um, and the oh, couple of days or the night before, or yeah, I think it's like a, a, a clear day before your event, you have to put your discuses in. Mm-hmm. They get scrutinized. So, the depth, um, the circumference, the weight, obviously, and then they look for any imperfections, so dense. You know, I'd like to think that I'm a good enough thrower not to hit into the cage, but sometimes freakishly it slips out your hand and, and it does, or someone else uses it in competition and pings it. So they look for any imperfections, and um, there's one slight um, scuff, right, really deep scuff in the, um, in the plastic um, each side of the discus on the, so on the flat side yeah uh, okay. on the underside yeah the discus the the disc um, there's, there's a massive scrape in one so I've okay. kind of like sanded it out a little bit as best mm-hmm. as I can but of course on, on the continent they, they are on it and obviously it's an IAAF European champs that yeah, yeah. we're doing so I put my two favourite discs in ones that I train with all the time feel really comfortable with and I get a notification in the morning that they both haven't gone in and they're the only oh. discs I've took. So then I'm like, oh, okay. So then I have to use the pools. So these are brand new and they always they always put a champs, which is great f- 
for everyone else or um, anyone that likes competing with them. They put brand new discs in. Brand spankers. But they're so slippy. So I haven't okay. been used. They, yeah, yeah. They're just literally fresh from the cling film and they're put in the rack. And luckily there was two guys there with personal discs that were a bit roughed up. Uh, okay. So I had to use theirs. But yeah, it it threw me like it really did because... Obviously, I train with these discs, and I've got like seven or eight discs I train with, but two specifically that fly well in comp that I like using. Uh-huh. But it's, yeah, it's it's just... It's my like, whole psyche completely changed to going from quite relaxed and jovial and, yeah, cool, can't wait, to then knowing that my discs aren't there and they're just sat in, sat in a cupboard that I can't no use. Way. And automatically, the demons come out of like... Oh, okay, right. You've got discs that you never used before, and I hope I hope the like hope the discs similar to what I use in training um, the other the other discs because otherwise, how am I going to throw far? And all of a sudden, your mentality then goes, "All right, okay, don't think about that. You can you know it's like riding a bike. One disc is yeah. the same as the other, but it's kind of not like you know they're your discs." And, and yeah, and that was my biggest like to overcome that like if something quite big go missing. And to throw well, I think I won the comp in the end. Jump it was, jump. yeah, it was just, that was for me, was the biggest like, overcoming that because it was something that's, you know, it's equipment that I use every day. And yeah, I need. it's huge. And, like, um, it's like basically saying that a similar like a, scenario would be maybe you having a, a favourite pair of track spikes yeah. that you then accidentally put two longer spikes in the yeah. bottom and you can't use them, you've got to use another pair yeah. that you may be not too comfortable with. Like wearing, a training pair that's well-worn. Or, well or wearing worn a fresh and... pair of, of trainers, that's... And then you've got to go and r- run a 400. I think they've done it. You hear about it in boxing and stuff, don't you, sometimes, where, like, uh, I remember I remember when Mayweather was fighting someone and he made them change their gloves just before... So they oh, had yeah. it all done by the officials, but he wasn't happy with the, the gloves of his op- the op- guy he was fighting against. And that kind of threw that guy completely out the window. Like he was like, all my prep's gone. Now I've got to do all my gloving up again and all that stuff. And the strapping takes, I can imagine, take a bit of time and stuff. Yeah. But games, gamesmanship going on. Maybe the, the Dutch didn't want you to have your, yeah. your special ones out. Huh? <laughs> Did they have any competitors? I, I, I love, I love, I love the Netherlands. Yeah, no, they didn't. Like, they didn't have any competitors there. It was just, I think there's just. Um, it's really strange that if there's a couple of dents in your discs, they think it's their finger, uh, their like kind of grips. like finger grips. Yeah, yeah. and um, that you can get some extra propulsion from it, or the slash underneath they thought might create an extra air current underneath the disc, which will uh, keep it in. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, no, it's like just a dimple that's kind of like. <laughs> It's just, raises it up yeah just wear and tear it's just my old reliables yeah it's just my trusty steed that's the stallions the stallions in the box in the cupboard away from the comp gutted um, but then like do you have any rituals um, before comp other than going to the toilet lots um, rituals I suppose uh, I like to be at the shoes on or like well simple things like I have to wash before I compete I have to have a good shower before I go to the track Um, and then I like to be at the track two hours before I compete at least so normally I get like uh, say I want to at least have like a half hour 45 minutes where I can just sit out sit down and chill out for a bit before I can like you kind of soak up the whole feeling of the event from the from the warm up area and uh that's something that's I've done for years. I've I don't like being late for anything like planes no. and trains, car, whatever. I like to be early. So if I'm there early, sometimes I do fall asleep. 
from there too early, I thought I'd definitely go to sleep. But um, especially if it's a, you're at a hotel, say, and it's half an hour to the track. Yeah. I'll always imagine it's going to take an hour to get to the track because we've done it before. Like we used to is, compete, yeah. When we competed at Crystal Palace, we used to, they used to put us in hotels. If you know South London or whatever, it, they used to put us in a hotel in Purley. So that was like a long, long way away. And I knew the route that they were taking would always go through the back end of Fort Neath and Sellhurst, which was always busy anyway. And then at four, at five o'clock in the evening, it was like impossible. So you yeah. sometimes sat on the bus for like an hour and Fair a half. Yeah. So from then, from those days as a kid, it was always like, right, okay, give myself enough time. So be clean, be early, um, you chew got, gum yeah, a lot. In that, those situations, you've always got to imagine the worst, haven't you? Yeah, the worst 100%. possible situation. Yeah, I think from doing cross country and stuff. Well, actually, from my parents as well, who were always late, especially my mum. <laughs> Sorry, mum. <laughs> Shout out to Mrs. Rooney. <laughs> Did a Croydon uh, cross country at Lloyd Park once, and uh, the race started as I came up in the car, and it was <laughs> my mum was late. Um, I'm sure she's much better now, but I suppose she hasn't got four young I just kids got visions around. of you opening the door, full kit on. Oh, I had to go. Shoes I couldn't on, put my spikes on in the car because it was so muddy. <laughs> my mum wouldn't let that happen. And then I had to go run down to the start, put my spikes on. I was watching them go. I didn't finish badly. I didn't didn't do as well as I should have. So I've always been early. When, I, when I'm in control of the situation, I'm always early. <laughs> didn't do as well as but, uh, expected. I'm like yeah. my, minus 200 metres behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was good at cross country back then. Those days know, are well, yeah. well gone. Um, yeah, so I always have that. I always have um, yeah, so like baby wipes and stuff because you go to a lot of meets and they don't have toilet paper or a toilet seat, stuff like that. It's kind of rank, so always be prepared for that kind of that's stuff. A, that's, that's a typical, well, dad thing to do, isn't it? You've always got oh, poo bags me. and baby wipes in your pockets. <laughs> your car's full of it. Yeah. For <laughs> that all-important emergency. And exactly, we're not even talking yeah. about the babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else? I have caffeine before I race, so try to have either whatever caffeine's available. Not, I'll have a coffee before I leave, and then when I get there, I'll dose up on Pro Plus or whatever caffeine supplement is there, and make sure I'm buzzing <laughs> for my warm up. What else? Uh, I walk the track. That's actually something that I do. I don't. See, oh, really? I don't think I ever see anybody else do. So, say you're at a warm up track. And especially before a relay, I will grab a baton and before I start warming up, I'll walk a lap of the track. And I don't know if it's just a thing of like making sure everyone knows that I'm here. <laughs> and I'm here to take care of business. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's just like you're announcing yourself to everybody. It's like a lap of appreciation to go, <laughs> guys. <laughs> Real wave as you go around. This no, is it's what just you're like, up against. I like to see who's about. I like to see people, yeah. as I walk past, they all look up. I go, okay, cool. It was a good psychological edge to know, to let them know that you're here and you're yeah. arrived and this is like stamping your authority on the track. Try to. I don't know, I don't think it works at all, but for me, it makes me feel <laughs> it right. I, I, it just gives me a feel for everybody who's there and whatever. And like the Botswanans do something where they jog around together. Like, so the male and we, female teams in the relays and they sing. So they do like tribal kind of oh, wow. songs that they do before like an they make sure everybody knows that they're there. It hasn't helped them because they should have should have won the last world champs and Olympics comfortably, but <laughs> they haven't. So I don't think they make the final. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I do. What about you? What, what's your um, 
Um, your pre-war ritual. Pre, pre, yeah, like getting to war. Um, obviously, um, I getting a. Always make sure I've got a good solid playlist. Um, generally, start pretty chilled out, and then it slowly ramps up and ramps up. Like I said before, like just before. Does it start off with that Greaves and Rooney sports podcast? It does. Yeah. Well, actually, we've not. We've not yet not well apart from you not yet competed but it will be a staple in my playlist um Dulcet maybe a few on the bus. maybe a few flash quotes in there nice um but yeah just to get a, a good solid playlist like something that you enjoy i enjoy listening to fairly easygoing comfortable music at the start and then it, yeah it slowly ramps up until it's pretty loaded and heavy um like prodigy or rock at the end mm-hmm. just something that really gets you firing and um, properly pumped but then yeah for me like well I haven't got really too many rituals but I've got like lucky socks or oh, yeah? socks that have been jibbed about it for ages that these people think they're like sweaty used socks that I use all the time but it's only for major champs so in theory I've only used them I don't know maybe 20 30 times okay um, less than the average yeah of a, of less a, than the average sock usage in training but it's just, pairs they're just really comfortable and I started using them when I think Sydney 2000 was the first out in. So, yeah, a good near 20 wow. years of usage. <laughs> and these like, socks are just, oh, mate, they're just really nice and comfortable. So, obviously, just have to use the Adidas ones at Olympics or Paralympics. Um, we don't. Well, are you yeah. wear higher? Blim? Do you wear the higher socks? The ones oh, that go yeah, past your ankle? I wear the ones, yeah. Some of the oh, okay, ones. fair enough. It's um, such a ball ache, isn't it? Yeah, because these are quite. These are quite big, they're like mid-ankle socks, they're quite okay. big. So I have to cover them up. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just they. F- well, I always wear two socks when I compete. Okay. And it just makes me feel comfortable and that I'm in, like I'm really connected to my shoes. Yeah. And, and, com- and it's, I don't do it in training, so it's like a, a step up in confidence knowing that they're properly on and secure yeah. during competition, um, which is a bit weird. But then... Another thing that's slightly strange, I mean, it's great through your competition. I always have snacks. I have like jelly beans. Oh, nice. But Picnic out on the, on the D. Pardon? A picnic on the D. Yeah, a picnic out in the track. Um, and you always see people looking like, oh, is he going to offer me one? I'm like, no way. I'm These are mine. <laughs> but the theory behind it is it's the gelatin and the sugar... Um, you get a slight tacky feeling on your fingers, so it goes slightly. PEDs, they're PEDs here. here. Yeah, so it's almost like using chalk, but a little stickier. So okay. the feeling on the disc, if it's whenever it's wet, like a wet comp or anything, it's ideal because it just adds that little bit of tack to the disc, yeah. so you don't your fingers don't slip. But just in general, it should get like <sighs> the glucose and the and the um, sugar on your on your tongue from eating them gets a little bit of tack and it's just something I've always done as well it was, you get a bit of a obviously glucose and fructose and the, the syrup in um, jelly beans you get like a bit of a natural high mm. from the sugar so it gives you a bit of a kick as well yeah. um, as well as caffeine yeah it's great I love jelly babies who doesn't love jelly babies I know so good so they're mine really like nothing too too obscure um, okay. but either way like I think things that like make you really comfortable really at ease at competition but then also give you a little slight pick up okay. as well. so do you ever like pray or anything like that but them do you ever pray pray no not really mm. I have I've done it okay. more 
Um, I'm not uh, the most religious person in the world, but like, um, it's like having a conversation, isn't it? Yeah. But I've done it with athletes as well. Athletes have said, oh, can you pray with me? I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> First to go race, but okay. And to be honest, it's, it's just comfort, isn't it? Somehow, whatever yeah. makes them comfortable. My parents are quite religious people, so I suppose we did it a lot as kids and it kind of reminds me of that, uh, like uh, a safe place, I suppose. But anyway, I was just curious. Some people do. I know a lot yeah, of people yeah. are very loud with their... Yeah, there's... I think I think there's more praying going on like now I've seen in the Paralympics due to obviously um, people have had adversity in their lives and you know they may have had an accident or um, something really um, tragic happened that they've maybe lost a limb and so okay. they do find God in that way um, yeah. like because power and faith maybe, yeah maybe believe in faith that they've survived a horrific accident mm -hmm. or something else and then they've come through to the side and they're sports people which I fully get and I fully appreciate and, and admire um, but for me yeah it's like just I, I just don't yeah no. it's, it's, it's curious it's, yeah. uh, I think I get annoyed when people don't respect it if it's, yeah. it's their belief or whatever then cool um, they're not getting in your way so unless they literally are screaming in your face <laughs> it's a different yeah, game altogether yeah there was I can actually remember um, one javelin thrower and this beast of a new guy came out and threw uh -huh. a massive throw and was like leading the competition. <laughs> and he just went up to him before his last throw and just screamed in his face <laughs> oh, shit. to try and put him off. And, um, wow. Oh, wow. It was... I was like, oh, it's, it's <laughs> a little brilliant. bit disrespectful, but in the same in the same breath, it was hilarious because yeah. it was so pumped for his last throw, and it's do or die. I like, had to get a medal, and went up to the guy who was leading and just went <laughs> in his face, <laughs> and like, wow, okay, this is <laughs> pretty, pretty pumped for this throw. Um, I had a guy in uh, when I raced in Guadeloupe. Uh, I was in lane six. He was in lane seven. It's uh, Lando Gordon, who yeah. is. Uh, Olympic bronze medalist actually from 2012 but he was in the lane outside me <laughs> and after they announced all our names he literally turned to everybody in the field like fully turned to us and he just shouted strap in boys and he started doing like the big seat belts over his shoulders <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing was, <laughs> he obviously has decided he was going to spank it yeah. and he did I, I, my first 50 I went as hard as I could and he just kept going like I was oh. with him with him and then it was like he was nothing. gone but it was just so funny like <laughs> it was it was, it was a, not a nothing meet it's a, it's a very early season meet and you know, yeah. you're all a bit jovial you're in Guadeloupe for God's sake it's like yeah. one of the most beautiful islands in the world and yeah it's, it's just a completely different atmosphere to say when you go to champs I can guarantee you wouldn't do that at, yeah. in the Olympics or the world champs or anything like that but yeah, I enjoy that kind of like bit of banter just yeah. before you go. Yeah. Screaming in someone's face isn't banter though, is it? No. Well, if they're probably quite funny. Let's it? go! Because they were leading, they'll probably find it really funny. Yeah. It's like, mm, yeah, okay. I'm laughing on the other side of my Let's face see what right got. now. We talk about competitions and how competitions are a part of our normal part of our life for the last way too long for me way too long way too long for both of us <laughs> 20 years or so um, not every comp goes the way that you want it to go how have you Dan um, gone to one comp performed badly and turned it around 
what's got you, what mindset, what what triggers or what's made you come out the other side of it in a better place? Briefly touched on in the first podcast. So 2008 um, was just a terrible experience because I was like eight years going into that competition in Beijing in 2008, the Paralympics. I was eight years unbeaten, probably in, in about the best shape of, of my life at that point. Um, and almost expected and thought of myself as, as winning the comp. Yeah. Knew that I was in great shape and then it never happened. I came third, mm-hmm. which to so some people, are like, oh, and, and they do, they are, you know, you came third, you came away with the medal. It's a fantastic achievement. Looking back now, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. So losing what, you know, I shouldn't have predetermined that I was going to win in my head, but yep. that's just what I wanted to do. I knew I was a champion for the last eight years. I wanted to go out there and win. And, um, yeah, like turning that around, that just feeling that loss and primarily like the loss of all the hard work for like friends, family, coach, all the people that put that effort in yeah. to me getting there. I then just turned it around and was like, right, my motivation then was to never, ever experience defeat or try and eradicate that feeling of losing again. Yeah. When technically, you know, I put all the effort in not to. And everyone goes out there, you know, goes for a run or goes to a competition to win. And you know that out of those eight people, maybe on the start line, one of you is going to win. So for me, yeah, I just worked my ass off. So we made a plan. We we worked hard on looking over videos of where my technical um, technical changes could be made so my distance could go up, where I was lacking strength in areas to hold those positions in the gym. Yeah. So we really worked on... Um, gaining strength but also yeah every just to make every sec every session count it sounds really cheesy but it's almost like rocky-esque where you just i'd like turn up to training and i'd be so pumped knowing that i've got to dish out some revenge at some yeah, point yeah and come back yeah that was the biggest thing for me it's the biggest turning point in my career because then i went on to like break the world record in in consecutive years in the lead up to 2011 world champs in 2012 but for like so had that not happened and say i'd won yeah and only just won would i have had then that determination to then succeed probably not if so has having that taken away having that winning feeling taken away after eight years gave me such a boost that I never wanted to, to feel like that again. So I wanted to win and win and win. And it completely turned, changed my outlook to training. I used to turn up to training so motivated, so pumped more than any, any any time before. And so that was like a blessing in disguise for me. Do you prescribe to the thing of, it's a, the fear of losing? Yeah. Which is more than the, the joy of winning. I would I wouldn't say I would always say I would always put joy of winning first. Okay. Naturally. But the fear of it being taken away having had that joy yeah. is comparable. Okay. And and I think it makes that margin bigger because you've already if you don't know if you've got the fear of losing and maybe only lost you know a few times and maybe won a few times but if you're if you've got an unbeaten run like I had it made that joy so much that fall from joy so much bigger course, if you got yeah. what I mean if it had been intermittent winning losing mm-hmm. a bit of rivalry going on like I had with Jeremy after the the few years afterwards 
then I could I could take that a lot more. But having been on such a high and, and such a rise of winning for so long, the fall that I experienced of losing something that I really wanted to win mm-hmm. really hurt. And that's yeah, that's what made me kick okay. my heels in. I've always uh for me it's always like uh the joy of winning is like it's that one percent in the sport, like ninety nine percent is the failure and it's kind of like I, I think I'm I'm actually probably more scared of losing than the joy of going yeah. for the joy of winning. It's something that um has driven me on. Like I the most poignant one was when I was sitting after I came fourth at the Commonwealth, we were talking about it in 2014. Yeah. And I was sitting in between Karani James and Greg Rutherford in anti-doping. And they were just showing each other their medals like over the top of me. And I was sitting there, just come forth. And I was like, you fucking bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, oh. I was just like, I can't have this feeling ever again. I, like, yeah. I, I had the Europeans that year and there was no way I was going to go into the, I did, there's no way I could come out of that championships and be in the same position again where I was sitting between people who'd got the medals that I wanted. Like Karani was, Karani and Wade Van Niekerk definitely were uh, way ahead of me. Like they're 43 second guys and outstanding ambassadors for the sport and all that. Um, so the top two was out of contention really, but third place was there and I should have got it, um, but I didn't. So by the time when I came to Zurich, it was about, no, nah, this can't happen again. I can't have that feeling. It was so fresh in my yeah. memory. And then um, I had it again in 2016 where I went to the trials and I was in good shape, but I just wasn't clicking. It wasn't working for me. Um, and I I had the same feeling. I, I came third there, wasn't automatically selected. I knew that British Athletics were going to make it hard for me to get picked um, individually for the Olympics. Uh, so I knew I was up against it and I couldn't have that feeling again. So I went to the Europeans a week later and I made sure I did my business in the semi final made sure I, I ran quick enough that the selection was out of contention, out of, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't possible, possible for them not to pick me. And then in the final, it was like, right, cool. I'm not, I'm coming around, I'm coming to win this thing. And, uh, I think it's definitely the fear of failure for me. Yeah. Competition. That's what gets me going. I, I, I like to know that I'm up against it. And, and there's been, ever been like a time where, you know, where you're in like, um, you just can't figure things out in training and mm. you may be in, a little bit of a bad vein of form in training and your comps is, you can see they're slowly kind of either improving or but they're just not where they should be how do you get yourself out in like you know just does your mentality completely change in competition it's um when training's not going well sometimes it's about it's being patient and knowing that if you're getting the training done that's kind of the most important thing your body's adapting you might not be adapting as well as you want it or it might be not doing as quickly as you want it to to do but it's trusting that it's going to do it for in time for the competitions that matter so yeah. I, like in 2014 I was running I was in PB shape all year and I never hit I didn't get a PB I won the Europeans I came fourth at the Commonwealth but I should have ran a lot quicker that year and it just wasn't clicking but I had to have patience that by the time like I only ran 144 that year I was in like 44 low shape I was in doing stuff in training that I'd never done before and I was faster than I'd ever been and fitter than I'd ever been, but it wasn't clicking. So I knew I had to have patience that it would come off. And fortunately it came off around a good time in the final. It still wasn't what I was, it wasn't close to what I was capable of, but having the faith in my body that it was going to come right at the right time. Um, that sweet, sweet spot that it hits. Yeah. 
um, it's 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 just saying of being patient. If yeah. it means like say if you're training badly or your weight's not going up in the gym, it's just about getting through those moments and coming back and doing it again. Like you can't if you if you abandon it. I think that's the thing. A lot of people quit before it. They really feel the benefits, don't they? Like yeah, I think they just don't give it enough time. I've seen quite a few athletes or mm. or even people that I've seen um, you know pushing to do half or full marathons and they're just grinding the sessions out um and not really seeing their times drop or or any anything any improvements rather than looking at the bigger picture um the bigger picture and just um and keeping i think it's it's hard to keep your eyes on the prize when it's so far away like a major champs yep. or a, a or a big target um to then keep plucking away and not get too disheartened with your current state, knowing that when ultimately you know you need to be in your best vein of form or your your fittest state to do um, an event, that's when it counts on that day and that championship or that. It's probably the same in all walks of life. Like you're going for job interviews, you keep them getting turned down, but it's going to make you better at first of all at the interview, trying to become better at it, and maybe it's just yeah. setting you up for the right job. Maybe those jobs that you were going for weren't the right jobs that you were you were destined to do, if you know what I mean. Like, That's true. Or maybe so I guess with to... the pods, we're slowly getting better. I hope so. Hope, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed you're all enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just being patient. It's just that knowing that, that you're going through the processes and like I know a lot of people apply for jobs that they're never going to get, but it's just about going through that training, going through that, the the routine of it all. So by the time they, they get to the job that they really are looking for they're going to excel yeah. and it's about like putting yourself out there and being ambitious isn't it and mm. and pushing yourself um even if you think maybe it might be a step above my board or you just gotta you know you gotta really really believe in yourself back yourself um and know that that you can change your fortunes at any point in time exactly yeah there's park run times they come down you keep running it you get a good day and then all of a sudden you make a massive jump. It's um it happens, especially you'll have known it in your in your throne and I know in my running, like you keep peppering a time and then like you're like, it's just not good enough, not good enough, but you're consistent at it. All of a sudden you go half a second quicker or you throw a meter further just because you've been peppering that consistency. Um so my thing is it's just to be patient and believe in the consistency that you have great advice is it good advice it is good yeah because i think um because we do it and we know ourselves and we know we plan out our competitions and we we've over the years we've peaked so many times at mm. the right time yeah for major champs that it's, champ, it's quite champ, hard champ. to then go multiple champ champ, <laughs> champ 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 but then it's hard to convey that to to put into words of of how to do it because we, it, we it's like so robotic and monotonous of us because we know we understand how to do it and how we work people obviously work and operate differently and want different things and want to achieve various different things so mm. but as long as you're self-motivated um you've got a good positive outlook and you don't get hung up on a few negatives that could peg you back i think that's vitally important like from my side is I could have easy, maybe I've had an eight-year career after Beijing. I know a few, quite a few people retired and you could have looked at it completely different light and gone, oh, 
okay, I feel threatened now. There's a new kid on the block. He's just won. And I could have maybe gone, oh, do you know what? Like, if he improve, what about if he improves better than me? But, you know, I knew that the heart of hearts, if I really dug my heels in and trained hard, what I could achieve. Yeah. And um, I didn't really think about him at all. I just wanted that revenge. I wanted to mm. to put it right to get me back on top. And that's effectively what made me a 60 meter thrower. Yeah. Had I had a different mindset going in, going like post that competition, then I probably wouldn't have achieved half the things I have done from that. And and that's just the competitive side coming out. I think um, sport is a, is a leveler. It's a very good leveler. It offers you the opportunity to come back and be better than you were before. Like I think Anthony Joshua is going to be a, like Lennox Lewis got knocked down to, uh, and he still came back as a, a British champion or whatever. I think um, I'd like to see Anthony Joshua. I think it's the making of him. I've seen it with Christian Taylor when he lost in Moscow. He went in there um, having won the last championships before that and the Olympics. He was the best triple jumper in the world and he came fourth. But he ain't lost since. No. Like he's not lost a major championship yeah. since because of that. A that feeling of backward hurt. step definitely drives you on to go forward. Um, so maybe use those failures and use them to motivate you to do better than you were doing before. Competitions done. We have bored you senseless with competition <laughs> chat. Um, sorry if it was too much villa chat as well at the start, but it's a big, big, big thing for Dan. It's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. But uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in again and downloading. And if you feel like you like it a lot, maybe share it a bit more, invite more people to listen. Uh, so like and subscribe. And yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Martin Rooney and at Discustan. And yeah, hopefully, well, we're going to try and get some guests on soon. Um, yeah. We've got to twist some arms. Yeah. Pull in some favours. Pull in some favours, but just get a different dimension and hopefully what we've chatted about through warm weather, training and competitions, a third wheel, given their their dynamic on it, will make it quite some interesting. Some superstars of the sport. Yeah. Um, so yeah, please um, subscribe, give us a review and love to hear your feedback as well. So please get in touch. Um, all comments welcome, but keep them clean. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers.